This usually doesn't happen when I'm preparing for a sermon, but as I was in the text, I could not get rid of one word in my mind. And I, you know, you're kind of exploring different options, but the word that kept coming back to me, which was from the Spirit, was misunderstanding. When you just think for a moment about what was read, misunderstanding is a good way, to, I think, to summarize what's gone on. And that's a really interesting word, isn't it? On one hand, it can be something pretty benign, such as, oh, you know, it was all just a misunderstanding. That's a way of saying, you know what, we're okay. Maybe I stepped on your toes, you stepped on mine. It was just a misunderstanding. It's no big deal, we move on in our relationship. But misunderstanding can mean something of grave consequence as well. It can mean just like, oh, because of that misunderstanding, something really impactful, something really hard, something destructive happened. I think history is replete with such examples Literature and, and culture have a lot of those references. But on the historical side, just off the top of my head as I was thinking about this, you know, the whole tragedy of the Titanic was a result of misunderstanding. Now, not the movie, but actually the, the event itself, which was at the time, 20, excuse me, 1912, the largest liner that had been made, one of three large liners. And it was state of the art. And part of that state of the art was the engineering. And the engineering was such that those who designed it thought that this was essentially an unsinkable vessel. And they marketed it as such. And they were so confident in their understanding of how naval architecture worked and how what threats and perils the sea could provide that they didn't feel it necessary to provide adequate enough lifeboats. So when the unthinkable happened, it actually strikes this iceberg at speed. I mean, just to show you how one misunderstanding leads to another. They, at the time the Titanic strikes the iceberg, it is steaming at close to full speed, about 30 knots. It's pitch black, there's no moon, and they're in a sea full of ice. And they'd had warnings, but such was their confidence in the worthiness of their ship and the state of the art that they didn't think it was a hazard or a problem. And as I said, not enough boats. And so at the end of the of the tragedy, you know that 1,500 plus people lost their life, in some ways unnecessarily. And so one misunderstanding can lead to another and then it can have this irretrievable impact and tragedy. And the source of misunderstanding, if you look at our text, starts in the garden. This is what Ben is, is reading in chapter three to us today. It starts with, with Satan or the serpent coming alongside of Eve and saying, you know what God said is a bit of a misunderstanding. Did, and he, he does it so subtly. Did God really say this? He was like, well, I think, yeah. And she kind of paraphrases it for the most part. And then he comes in with, with a little degree turn to get her to, to uh, say, well, no, he's actually depriving you. So misunderstanding at its core is somewhere to doubt the goodness of God, to doubt his love for us and his welfare for us. It is the source of all misunderstanding. And since we're still in this time of the fall, even though we're in this in-between time where Christ has come and we celebrated his, you know, we commemorated his death and pressed into that during Good Friday and, and Holy Saturday in anticipation of Easter, the resurrection. And so now we're in this in-between time called ordinary time, but it's also the time where we, we try to figure out how do we live faithfully to the fact that the Lord is the one who has called us back, who's made a way back for us to go to, and we want to do that. 
how do we, in the context of what we're talking about today, get further away from misunderstandings and more into the place that Christ has for us? And so the source is the enemy of our souls. And the misunderstanding now gets confronted in the gospel that Cindy read. In that Markan passage, Jesus is going toe-to-toe with the Pharisees, actually the teachers of the law, who have this great misunderstanding. They think that somehow the the demonic uh, casting out that Jesus is doing is actually because he's really in league with Satan himself. They've got this all sort of figured out that this is what's really going on. And he is saying, no, you misunderstand. You do not understand what is going on and you don't understand who I am. And what is going on is this, that Jesus, who is casting out demons, is now serving notice that somebody more powerful than Satan has arrived. Somebody with greater power and capability and love and, and, and love for people is now on the scene. And it's just this beautiful kind of aha thing. And these guys don't get it. They don't get it in some ways because they don't want to get it. Because if they admit that that's really what's going on, then they're going to have to provide allegiance and they're going to have to change their theology and they're going to have to do some things differently than they've been doing. So there's a temporal cost to this eternal reality that's come in the form of the Lord casting out demons. But if that isn't enough of people that are misunderstanding, you know that that whole gospel opens up with his very own family showing up and they're not understanding. In fact, what they understand is that he is out of his mind. That is, they've come to collect him basically because that's what they think is happening they don't know why all this has happened yeah I, you know you can sort of speculate and add your own ver- words but like this isn't the boy we grew up with yeah he was a little peculiar i mean he's hanging out in the temple at 12 but this is really beyond the pale this is like this is scary stuff and he's on the wrong side of the religious authorities and so they're just coming out of a sense of protection for him perhaps out of a sense of protection for them but they don't understand Jesus' mission at this point, and they don't understand him. They're, they're misunderstanding. Paul, in the same vein in that Corinthians text, he's misunderstood by his own church, by the Corinthian church. So he's writing to them to say, you don't really understand how God works. You don't understand who I am. They actually think he's, um, he's not really a, a, all that as an apostle. They think that he's not eloquent. He's not their idea of what an apostle should be, basically. And he's like, I'm not, but I am what, who an apostle is, is one who is sent by God, who's empowered by him, and that's who I am. And that gives me the authority to say what I'm saying. But so much of that letter, if we had time to read it, would be very much about Paul's, it's an apology, it's, it, it's uh, for his apostleship. He's writing in defense of his apostleship because a good portion of that church really misunderstands what's going on. So their misunderstanding is actually our benefit. I, I think what, where, that finds me and perhaps why the Lord gave me this particular word is that, you know, just as people, if people misunderstood Jesus in his day and Paul in his day and followers of Christ in our day, guess what? They're going to misunderstand who we are and what we're about. And since we're not perfect, like the son of man, we're also going to misunderstand other people. And so it's helpful to see how we can look at parts of this text to make sure that we respond well if we're the ones on the receiving end of being misunderstood and that we don't fall or lapse into that ourselves. So what's the key to that? 
I, I think the, the key to it is, as, as Paul says in, first, in, in his second Corinthians, he says, so we don't look, you know, we, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. He, he says, but on but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but on what is unseen is eternal. So what we can see in front of us is at best temporary and often deceptive. It's kind of like virtual reality. I have a friend, Sarah and I were talking about this, and she was saying, oh, uh, she was just with some friends, and they had the new um, VR thing from Oculus, I guess it is. So you guys can tell me who makes Oculus. But now the whole big marketing pitch is you can do your own exercise with virtual reality. No more Peloton biking, no more dialing in with friends around the world. You can be your own contained VR world for exercise. You put this on, you get two little things in your hands, and then you can be anywhere you want. You can be, in the demo I saw, you're on a mountaintop, snowy mountaintop in the Andes. And then people, your exercise person is, or your trainer is, is telling you to, you know, watch out for the flaming triangles or here come the balls and you're supposed to duck and you're supposed to do this stuff. This looks real to you, but to people around you, it looks kind of bizarre. <laughs> but we can operate in those places of virtual reality in our life, in our world that is temporal or partial at best. And what, what Paul is saying is here, it's not, we can't focus on just what is temporal. We have to focus on what is eternal. We can't look at just what's seen. We have to ask God for his help to see what is not yet seen. It is only in that direction can we really move into places where misunderstandings that may be a part of our life today can get more resolved, can get um, taken care of, can become better, if you will, can be improved, go from misunderstanding really to a proper understanding. You know, when, when some members of the Corinthian church looked at Paul, they only saw limitations. They only saw his shortcomings. They saw they didn't fit the bill for what an apostle should be. They looked at Jesus and they saw that he, he was casting out demons by his own demonic authority. They didn't see the Lord for who he was. They didn't see Paul for who he was. And they're not seeing necessarily us for who we are. And so as we think about that, we need to, to make sure that we're pressing in to, um, to seeing ourselves as God sees us first. Like, Lord, I don't, God's not impressed with our strength because he's really calling us to, to, be, to use something far more than our strength. Uh, that should actually, I think, I think about that more and more because I'm aware of, uh, you know, how, how less and less strength I really acknowledge that I have for doing anything you know, for thinking through things, for doing uh, all the ministries. It's not that I feel like I'm losing it. It's just that the demands are at such a level that you can't think that you can do it all on your own. That's true at any age and at any stage. This is true of Paul. This is true of Christ. So this is true of us. So part of dealing with misunderstandings is just like, Lord, would you have your way with me? Would you give me the grace I need to get through whatever this thing is where I'm not understanding somebody? And usually, let's be honest, the people that are hardest to understand are oftentimes the closest ones to us, the ones we've done life with the most, either because they're in our family or because uh, they're you know, colleagues that we've been with. And sometimes that's what makes it the hardest. Let me give just a few things that I think help me uh, as I think about this, as I think about how the Lord helps each of us to see things as he sees it. So the first thing about dealing with whatever misunderstanding you may have with somebody for whatever reason, 
the first thing to pray is like, Lord, take, you know, take the VR goggles off of my eyes so that I can see this person as you see them. Don't help me to see the situation beyond the narrow range that is in front of me, beyond just the range of my hurt or my woundedness. Help me to see what your wise and thoughtful and loving next step is in that relationship. When, and you can expect God will do that bit by bit. Um, and so when he does that, a couple things. First of all, just engage in, in that. Don't avoid it. I don't know about you. I'm not conflict avoidant. You guys have heard that term, you know, so-and-so is conflict avoidant. But I will admit to being conflict resistant. And by that, I mean like, okay, if some, there's some friction, my first move is to hope it goes away. But if that doesn't happen, then I like, okay, well, I'll pray about it. Then it'll go away. And then when that doesn't happen, I realize that there's just more and more, there's more and more nudges that the Holy Spirit says that, well, no, you have to have a conversation. You have to raise this as an issue. Jesus is obviously in front of the teachers of the law. He's not shy. Paul is pouring out his heart. I mean, if you read that letter, it is a heart pour to this Corinthian church. I don't know any saint who gets away with just not having to at times engage instead of avoid. And, if, and it's a, see it as an act of love to actually engage with somebody over a misunderstanding is to say, I care enough about you. I care enough about this situation, our relationship, to want to go ahead and do that. So engage and don't avoid. Then the second thing is to listen. You know, there's the prayer of St. Francis that says, part of it says, help me to uh, more to understand than to be understood. Help me to, to hear, help me to listen to what's going on for you. I've got things in my heart, but I want to hear what's going on for you because I'm not, I'm not confident that I know everything. I think I do, which is part of the reason I have this misunderstanding with you, but I don't. So stop, pause, let me hear what you have to say. Listening is an act of loving. I mean, I'm thankful that Kathy is starting this, this uh, summer book series on listening, listening to the Lord, listening to one another. This is a way to clear up misunderstandings. This is a way to align our lives more with who Christ is and what he wants, how he wants us to be in the midst of the relationships he's privileged to, to give us and wants us to serve. And then the, you know, so we engage, we listen, and finally, just to, to respond. You know, you listen, but then you have to respond. Resolving misunderstandings as you respond, though, doesn't necessarily mean you're in agreement. So Vicki and I don't necessarily agree on all the things that we talk about, but we get to the place where it's like, okay, I've heard you. I, I hear that that's a conviction for you. Here's my kind of alternate conviction on that topic. We can agree to disagree agreeably, which is a good way to do that. Um, sometimes that takes time. You know, sometimes you just might be in a place where who God is, made you to be and who you're presenting yourself to those that you love. They may not totally understand that. They may have their own perspective on, on things that you uh, could be doing, way, you know, whether that's a colleague, family, neighbor. I mean, any relationship is going to have these places at times. And the, the key is just respond in the way that God gives you the grace to do that. And then to wait patiently, wait prayerfully. You know, I love how the gospel ends. You know, it starts with Jesus' family coming to get him, and then he responds sort of obliquely. He says, who is my family? And he's, no, he's not throwing off on his family. He's not saying they're not my family. He's making a point about the kingdom of God and being family in the kingdom of God, which is important. But as you know, those that in Mark 3 who are coming to 
take Jesus away because they think he's out of his mind, come to worship him later on in the Gospels as Lord and Savior. And James, one of his brothers, is a reputed pillar in the church in Jerusalem and the author, according to church tradition, of the epistle of James. The Lord always knew who he was. He knew, he understood who he was. He understood who his heavenly father had made him to be. He was not overly concerned that there was a misunderstanding at this initial stage of his ministry, but he waited patiently and was consistent with who God had made him. And God brought his family more into that place. And I think the same is true with whatever, wherever this particular word today finds you, to trust that God will give you the way to see through eternal eyes to, with, with things that are eternal, not temporal, to see things that are unseen, see things that he's doing behind the scenes and not just what you can see. And to, to feel his peace when we do that. When, you, when we move in that direction, we'll have the power and the desire to engage with people. We'll, we'll take the first step to listen. And then we'll respond as he gives us opportunity to do that. So that's actually pretty exciting when I think of this. Uh, it can be scary in places, but it really is the way of life, and it's the way of peace, and it's the way to understand instead of misunderstanding. Amen. Thanks for being with us online in the Sermon Podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinitysv.org.